And then one last thing, if you have handyman skills and some tools and like helping and blessing others and you can put up a curtain rod and it doesn't fall down, Amen. You have skills and you can do that. Then see Pastor Sue. We partner with New Morning, uh, uh, New Beginnings and their transition home for young ladies. And uh, but they, they could use some handyman skills there at that house. So if you'd like to help there, Dana. Hi, Dana. How you been? So you, did, you didn't get to go. I thought you got to go. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, it was early. I know what it was. Amen. So anyway, praise the Lord. But it, uh, uh, anyway, they, uh, if they could use handyman skills. So come in and uh, see Pastor Sue and help them do some handyman work there at the New Beginnings Home. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 1. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the influence that God has set on your life. God purposed that every one of you would be a person of influence. Every person is a person of influence. That every person would have significance. That every person would make kingdom impact. That every person would make a difference for the glory of God. And I want you to understand, you have greater influence than you would ever imagine. I cannot believe, even in my own life, I'm looking back. We're excited this afternoon or this evening. We're going to go down and be with our friends, Doug and Janice Bird at Abundant Life. And Doug is the, uh, the original founder of the Lord's Gym and uh, been our friends for 37 years. Doug got saved three months after I did. We went to Bible school together, graduated together, and we've been serving God together as friends. And him and Janice and Sue and I have been friends all these years. And, uh, but they're celebrating their 30-year anniversary of planning Abundant Life Fellowship there. But uh, drug, Doug was the local uh, drug dealer guy of Oliverse. He was just a real, he, he was a piece of work before he got saved. <laughs> Amen. He, he, he needed to get saved. Amen. And, uh, but God takes an old drug dealer and turns him into a great pastor that touches a city. And when you would have met Doug, and I met him in 1979, April of 1979, he got saved, you wouldn't have looked at him and said, there's a young man that will reach a city for God. There's a young man that'll have a vision for an outreach center that will literally go around the world and across the nation and, and reach thousands and thousands of young people. Hundreds of thousands of young people come through the doors of Lord's Gems. We have 19 of them. We have one in Cambodia. We have one in Ghana and, uh, and around the world. And so in different places, one in Mexico and plus uh, 17 of them in the United States that have people have caught the vision and, and, and have... Uh, uh, launch Lord's gyms. So, uh, but you look at him and say, well, surely that young man wouldn't, you know, it's just good that he got saved. At least he won't die being stupid. I'm serious. And people look at somebody, so there's a local drug dealer doing all this stuff and everything. But no, because God has assigned more influence to your life than what you can comprehend. When I got saved the same way, I, I wouldn't have ever thought that God would have used me. But over the years, God has graciously j just done some, some wonderful things that we've been blessed to be a part of. But God has influence set over your life more than what you thought. So I want to talk to you this morning about the influence 
of one. And I, I wrote this a while ago and then I, I put it on Facebook and, and that and just resent it. But I want you to hear this. In the beginning, man was made and formed with the capacity within himself to contain God. With the entrance of sin came the expulsion of God from his rightful place in our heart. Man now seeks to fill his internal void with external things as though they could occupy the space in his life. They never though they can occupy space in his life, they never fill the void. They cannot for it was made only for God. Nothing can take his place. Nothing this world has to offer can fill the void in a life that is meant for God. So man can live a life filled with everything this world has to offer and still die empty and void of the presence of God. God's plan for our life is that we would live full of His Spirit and die empty of this world. And so what we need is we would ask that God would allow us to truly revive our lives with the fullness of His Spirit. Father, this morning I pray, Lord, that You would speak to each and every one of our hearts. Father, begin with me. Stir something fresh in me. Help me this morning to understand, Lord, that You still want to do great things through my life. And so, Father, today I pray for each and every one of us that we would rise up and accept and hear the clarion call of your Spirit calling us to be people of influence in this day, in this hour. Holy Spirit, come and bring clarity of understanding to our minds. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 1, and just before we dive into this, on January 3rd, I preach a message to you uh, on on the eve of Independence Day on standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and what it takes for us to stand in liberty. And I made the statement that freedom will be lost by a generation who doesn't fight to protect what was given to them. If we don't treasure and value the freedom that we have inherited that's been passed to us, then it will be lost in a generation that does not fight to keep and preserve what's been given to it. And then on the 10th, that was on July 3rd, and then on the 10th, two weeks ago, uh, I ministered to you on the ministry of reconciliation and being an intercessor and standing in the gap and understanding that we are one nation under God. And meaning though, though we're a continent, we have 50 different states, we are still one nation. We have different laws and, and, and different guidelines in the different states and different parameters and different you know, tax schedules or doing whatever. But still, we're still one nation and, and we're, we're under that bond of corporate unity. And so what happens in Dallas does affect us. What happens in, 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 in the Midwest affects us. When there's a flood, when there's a tragedy, when there's a storm, it, it affects us. What happens in California affects the East Coast. Are you with me? And so it's the same thing, but it's the same with the body of Christ, is that we are one body, and we do have a corporate covering. It's called the Word of God, and we have different denominations and different fellowships and different ways of operation, but we're still just one body. And so what happens to one really does have an impact on all of us. Are you with me? And, and, and we see it, many times we see it, especially today when, when there's a crime or an injustice that is done. And, and so lawmakers begin to impose what they think is a helpful law or helpful restriction. And so the act of one has now created an impact on the whole of the nation. 
And so that, that, that's the principle of corporate connection. But so here we have people being an influencer, the influence of one for negative. But what if we began to believe that by living for God and living for truth and really being salt and light, that the influence of one for good could even be greater than the influence of evil? Amen? I believe that that is possible. And so look at the cover of your outline just before we read in Daniel here. But I want to lay the foundation for it. Every generation faces the same challenges as the one before them. They must choose what will be the standard for their life. I say that to, I was talking to our, our, our interns this week on Tuesday and I talked to them and I used Josiah as an example as we will get to. But every generation has to decide what's going to be the standard for their life. And, and sometimes maybe we're raised up and we didn't have a godly example. And I share with the intern, my grandfather was a pastor. His brother was a pastor. But, but then it's like it skipped a generation with my, my mother and, and my father and that and not serving the Lord until coming back to the Lord later in life. So in my home growing up, I didn't have that godly example. We wasn't given that. But there was something in me. And so when I saw my grandfather and when I looked back and when I made my decisions, that I, I want to live like that. Amen. And so we choose, every generation chooses what's going to be the standard for their life. What will they use as a foundation for truth to build their lives and their futures upon? Each of us has been faced with that very same choice. Our parents in their day made the choice for their life and for their generation. But this is our day and this is our generation. And I said it last week on the tent two weeks ago. I said this, that this is, this is my nation. This is my nation. This is my home. This is where my children have been born. I am a citizen of the United States. This land is important to me. And so I, I, and my, my children have been born. In just a couple weeks, on August 15th, my daughter is due with my third grandchild, my se- uh, third granddaughter, my seventh grandchild. And so they're, they're going to live here. And so I'm either just going to step back and let life happen and let things happen, or else I'm, I'm going to stand up for something that is true and be an influencer and try to make sure that they have some of the freedom that I have enjoyed. And most of all, the freedom to do what we're doing here today. And, and, and there's an attack against liberties and against freedom. And so we have to make a choice about our day and our generation. When it comes to making the choice of what's going to be the standard, there's only two directions we can go. We can either go the way of the world or we can go the way of the word. That's it. There's either the way the world is going or there's the direction that the Word of God declares to us. I believe that in every generation, God has looked for those who would choose the way of the Word. Men and women who would refuse to be influenced and re-identified by the world and to stay free and true to their convictions and not be defiled by the way of the world. Men and women who would choose to... Be true to their God, even in the face of death. You know, if you read the little epistle of First John, First John and Brotherhood, my pastor really, his whole, we used to tease, Brotherhood only had one message, he just preached it a thousand different ways. It was, it was just this, it was just, let go of the world, grab hold of God. Really, every message, that's what it is. Hey, let go of the world, grab hold of God. And 1 John 2 just says, hey, love not the world. Don't love the world. But, but yet the world has so much good stuff to offer. And, and there's a way to use it. Use the good, but don't love it. Love God. Love God. Are you with me this morning? Love God. 
So what can God do in the lives of those who will not compromise and who choose to be a person of influence? Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Isn't that an amazing statement? Here God's people and God's land is being besieged and it's being done. By the hand of the Lord. And sometimes I believe some of the things that are facing our nation are being done by the hand of the Lord. Amen. But we're going to find out when we get to the end of this that sometimes one person and a person of influence can hold off and can stay that judgment if we'll just decide to stand. And so the Lord, uh, and so Jehoiakim king, and and so he... Uh, he gave him into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. That's important. Remember, it's going to come up in a minute. And he brought these articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aphaz, the master of the eunuch, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted with all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them daily provision of the king's delicacy and, and, and of the wine which he drank in three, and for three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave name. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah, as my friend Darwin Benjamin said, a bad Negro. Amen. But Daniel, some of you get it later, hallelujah. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself and the portion of the, with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuch. And so Daniel asked, hey, I'm asking you that you will not allow me to defile myself. I will serve and I will do, but I am asking, I do not choose. I'm standing. I refuse to defile myself with the delicacies, with the wine, and with the food. I, I will not defile myself and partake of that. So standing as a person of influence is so important. So what can God do? What happens? God is looking for men who will not learn the ways of this world. Men who will not acquire the taste for the delicacies of the king. Hear me today. One of the hardest things to do is to purge from our lives the things which we have acquired a taste for. Depending upon what age you come to the Lord and when you get saved, you acquire certain tastes. There's certain things you're doing. And one of the questions new people ask when they come to the Lord, when you go through discipleship with them, is it okay to still do this? I have a taste for this. I, 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 I like doing this. Can I still do this? I've acquired a desire and a like for doing this. Can I still hold on to this? 
And so one of the hardest things is to let things go. Because the Bible says when you come to Christ, all things are made new. Old things pass away. All things become new. And we go through that renewal process, and that covers everything. So think about it. Every indulgence in your life, you had to acquire a taste for. Think of every addiction people acquire. I've never met anybody that took their purse first puff on a cigarette, first time they smoked a cigarette, said, man, this is often. Most of them coughed their face off. And, and then they just kept going until you acquired it or you conditioned yourself or actually you desensitized your, 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 your feelings in there and your senses in there to where you just choke it down. And then somewhere how, how along the line as you're coughing your lungs up, you still want to keep doing it. But it, so, so it's, it's an acquired taste for destruction or for drinking. People, when they take their first drink of alcohol, most alcohol does not taste good. It, you, it catches you. you. Hello? And you do that, you go, well, I'll just keep drinking this because if I have a couple more sips pretty soon, I'm going to numb my taste anyway. I'll be under the, I'll, I'll be under the influence I'll be under the influence. And so you acquire a taste. And so most people don't drink for the taste. They drink for the influence. They're doing all right. But so, so we acquire a taste for Do another thing. The first time I shot drugs into my arm, it wasn't a joyful experience. But what I found out is that I was a heartbeat away from the high. So the pain was worth the instance that followed to me. So, but it's acquired addiction. Everyone has acquired, everyone is an acquired taste over time. The purpose behind each one is to re-identify you. Amen. Think about it. Be, be, before the addiction, people go through uh, AA and, and they go through, through, through narcotics and on. They go through different things. And so now, part of that is, is you no longer get to say your name. You have to declare that I am an alcoholic. I am an addict. Wait a minute. No, you're not. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. But yet they think, well, the only way to deal with it is to, anyway, moving right along. But it, we're, 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 these things re-identify us. Their purpose is to, at the end of time, qualify you to serve before the king of this world. We read Darius said, G -g give them the delicacies, give them the food, give them the wine, give them the instruction, so that at the end of three years... They will be qualified. They will be re-identified and readjusted to serve in a culture counter to their heritage. Are you with me? So the king chose young men to be trained to serve before him. And if you watch in our culture today, the battle for our nation is being fought in our schools. Because they're going after the next generation. Because if you reach young men, young men should become adult men and women. And then they, if you can recondition them with the delicacies and with the taste of this world, then they will be conditioned to serve the king. They were to be put through three years of a re-identification process. They would be trained in the culture of their surroundings. They were to be renamed, re-educated, and re-influenced to serve the wishes of the king. They were to be chosen because of their potential. They were clean and good-looking. They were gifted, and they were intelligent and quick to understand. And I tell, declare to you today, when you send your children off to kindergarten, they're good-looking, and they are clean. 
And you don't want that contamination that goes in there. And you have to fight against that. And then your children come home. Where would you get that thought? They didn't get it from you. It was something else that was spoken in their life to condition them. Are you with me this morning? So you have to decide where, where are the boundaries of my influence? Where am I going to go? And where am I going to take my stand? See, the purpose for choosing these young men was to train them up in the way that they should go. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Because the devil is patient and he will take his time, even if it takes decades. What we're seeing today is the culmination of decades of influence into younger generations. And they're growing up and now in adulthood, they're buying in to the reshaping and the re-identification of our nation. It's not just changing our nation, but it's coming into the church. It's coming in the body of Christ. Unless there are Christians and believers who say, wait a minute, I am not of this world, and this is not God's will for God's people, and I'm not going to allow my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to become under the influence of the king of this world. Amen. So he has longevity of dedication to his purpose. See, the king appointed for them daily provisions of his delicacy. The goal of the king was to touch their palate with the sweet taste of his delicacies and to have them develop an acquired taste for his kingdom and forsake their heritage. When the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go, the, the Hebrew words, are, I put them in there, and if you look at it, literally means to touch the tongue. And, and if you keep, if you take a child and if you just dip your fingers and keep touching their tongue, you can train them in a short time to develop a taste for that, whether it tastes good or not. Amen. And so they'll develop an acquired taste. And years ago when Pastor Sue and I went to a conference with Dave Gibbs and the Christian Law Association, the first time I heard him break this down and this truth broken down, and he literally was teaching us about education and how they take the things of this world when people are teaching, train up a child, teach your child. How do you do that? To train it means to restrict, even to make it narrow and to close it off. And what are you seeing today? You're seeing more and more. Are you hearing me this morning? You're seeing more and more where parents are being, or your rights are being restricted, and the teachers and the government's rights are being expanded over your children. You're being choked out, and they're being brought in. And so they're the ones that are training. They're the ones that are touching the palate of your children. They're the ones that are telling your parents can't do this. Your parents can't do that. If your parent does it, if your parent does that, are you doing all right? All right. So, and so they work with our children doing that. And so it means to touch the tongue or the palate inside the mouth. Hence it, that, that it is training them through taste, causing them to develop a taste for the direction of this world. I don't have time, but you can read it through Job and through Psalms and Proverbs there that deal with that word taste and, and how that applies in the same way. So who are these four young men and who it is and, and, and how is it that they are in to, able to influence two heathen kings to believe and to declare there is no God like their God? Nebuchadnezzar and Darius... Both heathen kings who took Israel captive, both of them declared they are heathen kings. They took the treasures of God into their temples and set them before their God. And yet through the life and the influence of these four young men, the influence of one in a different situation, they caused a king of a heathen nation to say there is no God like their God. 
You have more influence than what you understand. What I'm saying to you is that you are living in a world where there's an influence that's coming against your life. It's coming against the life of your children. And each one of us in our day, in our generation, have to understand, how will I stand? Where will I stand and what will I do? What will be my line in the sand? What will be this far and no further? These, are four, these were four men who would not allow their taste for God to be changed into an acquired taste for what the world calls its delicacies. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested to the chief of the eunuch that he might not defile himself. Wow. That is not how we view intermingling with the world today. Hear me this morning. The prevailing thought of our day is that we can partake of the world's delicacies and still walk in the favor and the power of God. That doesn't work that way. You can't be. You have to let go of the world. You have to grab a hold of God. If you want to walk in His power. Amen. Uh, Pastor Kadisha and I... Um, she is a, an Iranian pastor. Her and her husband uh, immigrated from Iran 30 years ago and uh, just a wonderful couple and they have a church in their home and uh, just a great, great couple. And uh, we go to their New Year celebration, New Year celebration every year. Just wonderful people. And we were just talking and, and, and just in this area uh, of dealing with this transition and this change and the influence and, and the partaking of the world. And we were talking about revival. And she goes, well, Pastor Don, what do we have to do to see revival? I said, the problem is, is that we like to pray for revival, but we don't want to pay the price for revival. And when you go back and you read the history of the great revivalists, when you go back and read about Evan Roberts, you go back and read about William Seymour, you go back and read about Wesley, and you go back and read about Finney, and you go back and read about great revivalists, not only did they pray, but they paid a great price. And today we just want to pray without paying the price. And she goes, Pastor, that is it. So if we will pay the price. Daniel was willing not only just to pray, but he was willing to pay the price for taking his stand. And you're going to see in a moment that when you pay the price, not only does God deliver you, but he also puts your enemy in the trap they set for you. Are you doing all right? Amen. So you're a great person of influence. I want you to hear that this morning. But you cannot partake of the world's delicacies and walk in the favor and power of God. What do we learn from the life of Samson? Samson, God said, hey, don't go over there. But I want her over here. She is beautiful. Delilah represented the world. So Samson kept going over and courting the world and then trying to run back and walk in the power of God and be a deliverer. And he got so delusional in that that one day he just woke up and he was captured and God was gone because he played both sides too long. Amen. And one of the saddest stories in the Bible, watch it, one of the saddest stories in the Bible is the prayer of Daniel at the end of his life when he's grinding corn and, and here he is. He's, in, he's used, being used as a mule and mocked by the enemy of God and he's in a grinding wheel and he's pushing a wheel and grinding out corn. His eyes have been put out and then they bring him up to mock him and they put him between the two pillars and he has to pray a restoration prayer and say, God, let me at the end of my life Bring glory to your name again. And, ask, and, and so being blind and being mocked, but then he prays this prayer only to bring down his own death and that upon him. When that, how many know that wasn't the will of God? 
the will of God of his life that he would be a great deliverer and walk in that. But somehow he thought he could partake of the world and still walk in the power of God. Hear me today. God is calling a people up. You look at our nation. You look where you are. There's a reason. This is our day. This is the day that God has brought you to. This is the reason he has saved you. He needs you to be salt. He needs you to be light. You are a person of influence. If God can take me, if God can take a pastor Doug, then he has influence for your life. I was just messed up and got saved. That's all it was. You just And God found out God had an identity for you. He had a destiny for you. And he has a sphere of influence connected to your life. And when you just say yes to God, it's amazing what he can do through you. But see, because of their lack of compromise, God brought them, uh, because of their lack of, of no compromise, God brought them into favor with those that would have changed them and allowed them to have influence upon them for the glory of God. Look at the top of your, your page there. How many today think that in order to be successful in the world, you must have a level of compromise in your life? That people will not accept or respect you unless you bend in some areas to be acceptable. Unless you have tolerance and open mind and are relevant to culture. Come on, Daniel said, hey, I'm standing for God. I don't have to compromise and God will be there for me. Amen. These four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, served in the area of politics. How many today you're told in politics, the only way to get along in politics is to compromise? I think it would just be nice to get somebody elected. Hey, I'm going to go there and serve the people. If they kick me out after four years, I can get a job. But I'm going to go stand for what is right. I'm not going to go in there and, and compromise so, so, so I can get voted in and re-voted in and re-voted in and become a career politician of compromise. I'm going to go and represent the people and the needs of the people. And if they run me out, they run me out. But at least I spoke and stood for the truth and I can walk out with my head up high and I will always be able to look myself in the mirror and know that I stood for truth. Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody run like that? Amen. Or people to serve like that. We used to have leaders and community servants who did that. We need that again today. Every king that Daniel and these three men served acknowledged that their God as the true and living God. They were willing to die rather than to compromise. For them, God was known as the God whom they served continually. In Daniel chapter 6, think about it. Daniel, here he is. Everybody's upset at him because not only will he not compromise, but he keeps gaining favor with the king. His influence keeps getting stronger and stronger with the king, gaining more and more favor in the presence of the king. His adversaries are against him. And we go, the only way we can trip this guy up is we'll get the king to make a decree that anybody who prays to any other God but our God must be put to death because we know Daniel will not quit praying to his God. So here Daniel, he doesn't care. He's out there on the balcony and they go, look, he's violating the law. And Darius goes, man, I'm caught and there's nothing I can do. So when Darius is walking him down to the lion's den and he's going in, Darius says to him, may the God who you serve continually be with you. Whoa! So the king is rooting for Daniel and imploring his God on his behalf. Are you with me with this? But, but wait a minute. It happened because Daniel chose to be a man of influence and to stand. 
And so then what happened? Darius gets down there the next night. The king doesn't sleep. He's all rushed, and he runs down there the next as soon as he can. He opens up the lid. Daniel, are you all right? And Daniel says, Yes, lions make great pillows. <laughs> and so then he gets delivered out, and then the king throws those who plot against Daniel into the den. But see what happened. How, when we are under attack and going through adversity, do we get God to work in such a way and turn the snare around against our own adversaries that set it against us? Because you cannot compromise, guys. You can't compromise. You have to walk and stay in your integrity with God. Old school, we used to call it holiness. We are called to be a people who are holy. And righteous before God. Not rules and regulations. But those who want to live in a way that is pleasing to God. What Daniel said when he denied the king. He said, I cannot please God and partake of what you're offering. If if I did that, it would be unpleasing to the God that I serve. Do you understand that? So when we say no, we don't say no to things. And we don't live holy by rules and regulations. We do it because we love God. And we want to do those things that are pleasing in the sight. And when we say yes, and we live as a person of influence to be salt and to be light to make a difference. Do you know that when you're, the the Bible says that that, that when we're going through trial, that God gives us peace. In everything that's going on right now, we are a nation that is losing our peace. And when God's people will stand and have peace in the midst of a storm, you will look different than everybody around you. And just having his peace upon you, God will open a door of influence and you'll be able to share. You will be salt and you will be light. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now watch this. Are we doing okay? All right. So watch this. Because they never lost their taste for God, they never allowed themselves to be re-identified. God was able to reveal himself. And, and, and Kadesh and I had a, had a statement. And, and let me just interject this right here about losing their taste for God. But let me just interject this. As we were talking uh, this year at, at the Persian New Year's, uh, I got to hear Kadesh's sister's testimony. And she was just recently, just a few years ago, not too long ago, she got saved. But she was a radical jihadist. And she was trained to be a suicide bomber. And she was willing to strap on the vest. And she would have had no problem walking in here today and blowing all of us up to honor her God. She, she was radicalized. And, God, and, and, and her sister Kadisha is saved and living in America. And God, it's, it's a powerful testament. So I invited them on August 21st. They're gonna, Sunday, August 21st, they're going to come and her sister's going to share her testimony on the saving grace of God of going from that to being saved. I mean, it's powerful testimony. It's so awesome to hear her share it. And see the grace of God on her life. But Kadisha and I were talking yesterday. I was supposed to meet with her for about a half hour. It turned up being two and a half hours. And just had a great time. And, uh, and that together in the Lord. But, but in this. And watching people losing their taste for God. Hear me guys. The longer you live for God. The harder you have to fight to maintain a fresh taste for God. The word of God needs to be fresh in your mouth all the time. A taste. That one of those things is that God's word. In fact, watch this. Let me, let me read it to you. Write this one down. I didn't read it, but Proverbs 24, you can highlight it and you can read it. But listen to Proverbs 24. 
Proverbs 24, verses 13 and 14 in the New Living Translation says this, My child, eat honey, for it is good, and the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you will have a bright future, and your hopes will not be cut short. God's Word should always taste sweet to you like honey. Don't lose your taste for the things of God. Let the Holy Spirit continually touch you with a freshness of the honey and the sweetness of the things of God. Amen? Hallelujah. So God was able to reveal Himself through four heathen kings in the political arena and to set His men as leaders in a heathen land. Though they were renamed, re-educated, they refused to be re-identified and turned away from their God. You say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to declare to you today you are a person of influence. And you have to refuse to be re-identified by this world. If you declare you are a Christian, then live full out as a Christian. Don't let this world change you with tolerance and open-mindedness and relevance. As a result, they prospered in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar of Babylon, and Darius, and Cyrus in Persia. Three of those four kings decreed that their God, the God of Daniel and these three Hebrew men, was the true God. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius, all three declared it by how they stood. What about us in our generation? Bill, if you come back to the keyboard, please. What a difference we could make as men and women of God. What can we do? In 2 Chronicles 34, but I'm going to ask you to turn. I put it there for, for uh, Josiah. But I want you to turn to 2 Samuel, if you would, with me. Chapter 22. This is what I believe with all my heart. How many believe God is no respecter of persons? On Tuesday, as I talked with the, uh, the interns, I talked out of 1 John and, uh, and, and keeping themselves from the world. And then I talked about Josiah and a young man who made the choice at an early age to live and to stand for God that shaped his generation, that as long as he was alive, God's favor was over his people. And so his influence really touched his whole generation. Second <coughs> Chronicles, or excuse me, Second Samuel, or I'll get it right in a minute. Second Kings. Chapter 22. You guys all over the place now? Okay. All right. Go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 22. My bad. Don't try this. I'm a trained professional. Amen. If you know anything about this, the, the account of Josiah, and many times we always say story, I, and, and sometimes I think story is the wrong thing to be used because the Bible's not fictional. It's true. It's the biblical account of the life of Josiah. At the age of eight, he was appointed king, following his father and his grandfather. But his father and his grandfather were wicked kings. They didn't walk in the ways of God. They allowed themselves to be influenced by the world and the nations around them, and they perverted the ways of God to such a degree 
that they still had their house of worship, but they had temple prostitutes. They had, th- I mean, it was amazing the stuff going on. They were offering their children in the fires to Moloch. They were literally having burnt sacrifices of their children on the altars to heathen gods. They had gone that far down the road and into, they, they had the groves and everything going on. And, and so far gone that they, they, they didn't even know where the book of God's word, where the law was, where, 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 where the recording of God's word was. And so Josiah becomes king at the age of, of eight years of age. And, and then um, at the age of 26, he says, we should be paying the workers in the temple. We should be paying. So, so go in the temple and get the money to pay the workers. And so while they were digging for the money and getting the money out, they found in the chest with the money, they found God's word. And the guy comes back. You read it at the beginning of chapter 22 there in, in uh, Second King. And they find it and they bring it back. And the guy goes, hey, while we were getting the money, we found this book. And so the king says, well, what's it say? And so they read the first, the, the Torah. They read it to him. And Josiah tears his clothes and sets about to reestablish God's word over Judah, over the, the, the region of his sphere of influence. He says, we're going to stand upon this and we're going to re- and we're going to get rid of everything that is contrary to God's word. And in that year, he brought them all the way back and they celebrated Passover for the first time in, in who knows how long. But they literally followed God's instruction for Passover through this young man. But look at what God says because of that. Verse 15. Then he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other God that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner shall you speak. Thus says the Lord concerning Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Watch this verse 19. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place." Hezekiah reigned for 31 years. And God says, because you took this stand, I will stay my judgment off of the people. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying we can keep the book, the culmination of God's plan from stopping. But I'm saying that if we will stand, if we will believe in the influence that God has set over our lives. I remember my daughter, like I said, I've got one daughter, Jamie. John Muncy used to come preach on prophecy. We'd talk about the rapture. We'd talk about the Lord coming over there. She'd go, Dad, I want Jesus to come. 
but I don't want him to come before I'm married and have a family. <laughs> and now she's married and has a family. And now I don't want him to come before I'm a great-grandfather. <laughs> I love being a dad. I love being a grandpa. And I would love to be a great-grandfather. Can we get Jake married at like 17? We'll help him out. Arrange something good for him. Amen. And, uh, but anyway. But what? Because of Josiah's influence, God stayed his judgment throughout his life. I believe we have a choice. I believe God will honor righteousness. If he honored Josiah, I believe that he could honor our stand as well. And when I look at our day, what we need more than anything in this day is for believers again to be believers and to say, I don't want the touch of the world. I don't want to be trained by them. I don't want to be instructed by them. I don't need their delicacies. I'm choosing God. For the sake of my children, my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren that God might God just might give grace amen I believe that God would do that if he did it for Josiah and it came and and I can tell you we've seen our forefathers that have made the mistakes and we're facing our nation is at a place of almost judgment but maybe by God's grace, if we would be people of influence. I'm troubled by what I see. I'm troubled by the unrest on our streets. I'm troubled by the insanity in our politics. I'm troubled by what I see. But God ordained that the church would be salt and would be light. Salt preserves and light shines and protects. How many would want to be a person of influence with me? Say, God, I, I could do that. I, I could change. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I know I ended short, but I'm asking you to bow your heads. I'm just going to ask you a question. Who's been touching your tongue the most? What touches your taste the most? The things of God or the things of this world? What delicacies entice you the most? The sweetness of the honey of God's word? Or the sweetness of the things of this world? God says, if you will separate yourself to me and choose the sweetness of my word, the delicacies of my kingdom, the new wine of my love, that I will give you influence. I will raise you up. I'll even turn the plans of your enemies against them and give you the victory. God's declared that over your life. But He asks you to choose, to choose to be that person who says, no, I won't compromise. So how do we begin? First of all, you must be born again. You must. Nicodemus came to Jesus. 
trying to warn him, great care and compassion. And Jesus did look at him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. As I said at the beginning, you were created to be filled with the presence of God, the life of God. Nothing else this world offers fills that void, only God's Spirit. Titus chapter 3 says that we are born again by the renewing, the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you've come to church, you're doing that, but you know you've never been born again. The renewing of God's life, His Spirit in you. You must be born again. While we're praying, maybe there's one here today, say, Pastor Don, that's me. I know I need to be born. I'm not saying born again, 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 again. If you prayed and you're living for God, then, then we'll help you in that walk. But I mean you're here and you know you've never given your life to Christ and that renewing of the Holy Spirit. God brought you here today to give you your true identity. The world's given you a re-identity, but God has your true identity for you. And you're ready to say yes. Well, we're praying. Is that you? Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Don, that's me. I, I need to be born again. I need to accept Christ. Is that anyone this morning that would just accept Christ? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Praise the 